my name is murali akhedla um i go by murali and a myriad other nicknames in the london office but uh, i am part of this team called transferwise for banks and uh, my team and i we specialize in taking transferwise's infrastructure and putting it right inside a bank transferwise are the money transfer service founded by the guys behind skype and that's murali akhela who's led their expansion into the us You're listening to Move Your Business to the United States from Mount Bonnell Advisors, the consultants who help you expand your business to America. I'm Naz, or Nastrant Tavakoli Far in full, and we're speaking to companies who've made the move to find out their do's and don'ts and any tips they have for your journey. For this week's episode, Mount Bonnell CEO Sebastian Sauborn and I went to the heart of London's tech scene in Shoreditch to speak to Transferwise. Now, Transferwise is a very popular money transfer service. I know Sebastian uses it a lot, and it lets you transfer money from one currency to another really quickly, and often with much lower fees than most banks. It was set up in 2011 by the founders of Skype. They were being charged big fees when trying to transfer money between themselves across countries. So they tried to solve this problem the way any good entrepreneur does, which is by starting a company. Murali Akela is the head of Transferwire for Banks and he's led their US expansion. We talked to him to find out more. Also, every episode Sebastian will be answering your questions about expanding to the US. So send them over to info@mountbonnell.com. You can find that in the show notes. Okay, here we go. Um so Transferwire started off in 2011. Um you know with two friends estonians effectively but one of them was working in london and one in tallinn so they had uh, different income streams one was earning in sterling and the other in euros but turns out that uh, they had mortgages to pay and you know sort of bills to pay on the other side so the guy earning in sterling had to pay euros and the guy earning in euros had to pay out sterling now that was a problem that uh, was easily solved at first they just got together and said hey why don't you get you know my the guy who was earning in euros why don't you pay my euro bills the guy who's earning in pounds you pay my pound bills and we'll settle between us and they asked each other what what would you know the fair settlement rate be between us like you know what what fx rate would you apply the most natural thing ever which is like well you know you google for it right i mean whatever you find you know we'll we'll settle at it turns out they stumbled upon the most efficient way of actually doing fx money transfers until then the only way you could do it was with a bank and they each had to pay like 50 60 quid away every month um just to get these funds moving but when they bypassed the whole banking infrastructure they could do it in a in a much more cost efficient um and you know fair way um fast forward eight and a half years we've sort of uh, taken this to more than 6 million customers um around the world we move roughly around 4 billion sterling a month which is you know about more than 50 billion dollars um, a year so we know a thing or two about uh, money transfers cross border um we're able to send money to about 50 currencies and about 70 odd countries to date and uh, again you know we've sort of also matured in terms of not just being a you know a friend to friend sort of you know sending model but you know we've developed a large network of uh, bank partners developed a robust fraud a um, management system a treasury management system and everything else that is required to run a proper money transfer experience for our customers and now i mean for also for quite a while now you also offer like you know 
bank accounts in that sense, right? For we at offer, least for for customers in the in the European Union. I'm not sure it is internationally. Well, actually, you know, we do offer uh, um, multi-currency accounts to a whole uh, you know host of customers, um, not just within the EU. There are some nationalities to who we cannot offer because of the local jurisdictional um, rules, effectively regulations that don't allow for these individuals to have it. Say, for example, I am Indian. If I were resident in India, then I would not be um, provided with a borderless account. But if I'm resident elsewhere, then yes, again. There are a myriad other rules that govern whether or not you can have a borderless account, but millions of people around the world today can access that particular product feature. Um, there's the ability to uh, manage your money in about 42 odd currencies. So you can add money in one currency and move it around in any of the 40 plus currencies and manage it um, at a time and rate of your convenience. And I think we should emphasize that those bank accounts or the borderless accounts from TransferWise, they're really useful because we have a lot of clients who find it difficult. You know, let's say you have a German person who owns a company in the United Kingdom. They find it really difficult to open a bank account in the UK. They might have to go there and then the bank says, well, you don't reside in the UK, so we're not going to give you a bank account. So TransferWise really makes it very easy to open especially in the business space, to open international business accounts. Yep. And I mean, we have a lot of clients who use transferwise accounts and it's pretty much one of the few ways, you know, we won't mention any competitors to open an account um, if, you are, if you're based in a different country. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, it's not just a, you know, a use case that is demarcated by business. Sure, I mean, it is easy to see how businesses with a multinational presence are able to use its functionality to send and receive money much better, much easier and for much cheaper. Um, it also equally extends to people, you know, who have borderless lives. I mean, people who travel, people, you know, who actually do live in two or three countries who commute quite frequently. This is a very, very, um, you know, repeatable use case for them as well. And uh, again, you know, it's it's about the small delights that, you know, we're able to bring to our customers, right? So when we launched the card offering, for instance, we started to find a way in which we said, look, if you, you've, you've got pounds in your account, okay? And now you're out to, uh, you know, also add euros. So now you have two balances, pounds and euros. You go to India, you spend somewhere, and I have an option of either debiting your euro or your pound account. And we are going to choose the one that is actually the lowest cost for the customer. So we're actually not saying, well, I mean, it's, it's up to the system. We don't know what rate you'll charge, but we're doing it the transferwise way, which is to say we'll charge you as less as possible for the best possible experience you can get. And Morali, what's the breakdown of your clients? Well, I mean, uh, we have, I think we mentioned this before, roughly about 6 million um, clients around the world. And uh, we are increasingly seeing tons and tons of uh, uptick in our business customers. So small and medium businesses, we are adding about 10,000 of those on a monthly basis. Um, we also have, uh, you know, sort of expanded on the banks that we are working with. So you would have seen that, uh, you know, from last year where we were live with... Uh, in Europe, we had uh, N26, LHV, and Bonk, um, and Monzo, if you count the UK as, you know, still being within the <laughs> European extended area. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the US, we've uh, just announced our partnerships with Stanford Federal Credit Union and with Novo. And uh, we've announced as well our partnership with uh, um, UP in uh, Australia, in addition to a previous announcement about BPCE in France. So. This is an area of strategic focus for us. And, uh, you know, we 
clearly, you know, uh, we'll be seeing a whole lot more over the next few months and years. And, and so how does it work when you work with banks? Um, we partner with banks and uh, effectively take our infrastructure and make it available for use for them. And essentially, banks' customers, therefore, have the ability to now not just see their money, borrow their money, invest their money, but they now also have the ability to send money abroad using TransferWise, but from within their bank application or website. It's like you you know, log in into your Lloyd's account and say, hey, apart from the usual five or six things that you can do, you see a little button that says, click here if you want to send money abroad. And this workflow is now being powered by TransferWise. Well, of course, we're not um, live with Lloyd's, well, yet. I think. <laughs> but uh, the idea is that, you know, with any bank or any financial institution, we offer a set of APIs which they can consume and offer our services to their customers. That's how it works. So this is interesting because um, what you do could be could be seen as competition to, to banks. But did they did did they initially approach you? Did you think, you know, we should go to some of these banks and, you know, offer offer what we do? I think uh, to be honest. It was a bit of both. Um, uh, we obviously, you know, thought that this was a good idea that, you know, when we have built in um, a whole lot of like world-class infrastructure and systems capabilities, why keep it to ourselves? It's the spirit of openness that states that we should be, um, you know, making this available to anybody who want to use it. The second way is banks increasingly find out that their existing systems whether using Swift, whether using correspondent banking, is just not efficient for them. Their customers are beginning to wake up and ask for more. They are used to the transferwises and you know, said you won't mention competitors, but I'm happy to state, right? There are so many non-bank players, right? Western Union, PayPal, Revolut, you know, Zoom, World Remit, you name it. There are so many players that are out there that people now have awareness of a better sending experience. And they're now asking their banks, why can't I just have it from within the bank? Why is it that you guys have to charge us more? So there's equivalently an interest from banks to state, can we find better infrastructure? And when they start asking those questions, there's a couple of obvious ways, right? Should we build it ourselves? Or should we just go partner? And if they think about building it themselves, well, we do have an interesting parallel to offer. It would take you about $689 million in investment and about eight and a half years of work, which is roughly the effort that we took. Um, now, would you want to do that? Of course, completely up to you. Alternatively, would you want to partner with us where the infrastructure we offer is, uh, for lack of a better word, open and free? So it's uh, you know making this um, as much of a barrier-less entry to using us as possible. And so, Moral, just to make it clear to people listening, say, um, so I'm here in the UK, I've got an account here, say I want to send £300 to someone in the US, mm -hmm. um, how would it work with a traditional bank and versus using TransferWire? Yeah, sure. I mean, we can talk about it from two angles, right? How you would sort of experience it and how the bank would actually see it in the background, um, probably, you know, for the more technical of our viewers. Um, we do it with Monzo Bank in the UK. So that's an interesting sort of example we can take. You log in into Monzo and say that, you know, you want to send uh, money to your friend in the US. Um, Monzo then says, sure, here's a workflow that TransferWise provides, which is the same as, roughly the same as um, ours, right? So um, tell us who you're sending your money to, how much you want to send, and after you've reviewed, just click yes. Takes no more than 15 to 16 seconds and you're done. 
in the background what happens is um, we create a settlement of funds between monzo and us such that we take the sterling from your account after our fees are debited we convert the remaining amount at the mid market the most fairest rate possible of course they can't be a better rate than that because that's the rate in the market at that moment and we would then um, you know sort of compute the amount of dollars that your recipient in the us would need to receive so it's at the rate that i'm sending the money at after we take our fees out so let's take an example let's right? so let's suppose you know you're sending a i don't know you said 300 for lakh uh of uh, rounded number let me take a thousand right so our fees tend to be in the um range of like 4 5 quid i think you know i need to like sort of uh precisely compute it but let's assume it's 5 right so then there's 995 pounds that need to be converted now if the rate between gbp and the and the U- and the us is like 1.25 i'm again making an assumption then the total amount that your friend in the us would receive is 995 multiplied by 1.25 that amount we won't actually send across borders we'll take it out from our existing liquidity amount actually in our account in the us we'll take that money out and send via the local sort of payment rails if you will to your recipient and that's how we're able to make this much much faster and much much cheaper as well because we are sidestepping the usual typical infrastructure that a bank uses it's as you all would know it's swift um it's got correspondent banks there's waiting there's fees and all of those sort of slippages and blockages and and leakage of fees which we don't have so j- just so that people understand it what what would be the process and the sort of average fee if i was d- doing this traditionally i think traditionally if uh, i mean it depends on each bank so you know we can't fully generalize but uh, i think roughly the um, trends in the industry are that you would pay on average about 5 to 6% if not more um depends on the currency you're sending to depends on the amount depends on um you know which particular time in the day so on and so forth there are many factors that determine pricing and some are far too complex to even understand which is where you know they come up with random fees like we don't care just pay 35 dollars and then you ask them why 35 why not 32 and then they go like that's because it's policy don't ask questions <laughs> right so um but typically it's in the range of that number you know 6 to 7% whereas ours is more in the range of 0.7 to about 1% again depends uh, significantly on currency amount being sent and so on and also um what about the exchange rates that a traditional bank will use versus you guys yeah so um exchange rates are always uh, funky <laughs> in the sense that what you see on google or what you see in the market is not necessarily what is applied on your rate and that is one of the educational parts of our of our product right we want to help our customers ask the question what is in that rate are you charging spreads which is like there is the rate and then there is the price that is being applied on your transaction and there is a big difference that is the spread now that spread for transferwise is zero now those spreads for a bank are variable they depend and there is no great answer to say will you apply the same spread if i send the exact same amount of money tomorrow right and then there is again apart from the fees uh, fees that you charge up front which is you know okay you want to send money to your friend in the us then you would say the upfront fees are $30 and the spreads are roughly around 1% so what you're paying is around 35 plus about i don't know 2% 3% 4% whatever the rate is that is applied as a markup to your exchange rate those are the hidden fees which customers don't know about 
And it's a lot worse in the US. So the fees are a lot higher in the US than they're here. Um, well, certainly there are a range of providers in the US. Again, you know, depends on the bank, depends on um, their specific infrastructure. But yes, we can certainly say that the problem is also prevalent in the US. Like people still spend anywhere between three to eight percent. You know, it sort of is exacerbated when you send to illiquid currencies, and they pay a lot of money while just you know for the act of moving money abroad. And just to quote one of our founders, right? I mean, if money movement is a series of bits and bytes and flows over an electronic network, if you don't pay anybody to send email, then why do you need to pay somebody to send your money, right? So if you take that as a basis, getting you know charged 8% is an absolute ripoff. I mean, a good example is not even banks, right? A good example is the company you mentioned before, PayPal. It's incredibly expensive, yeah. Well, PayPal actually um, adds a lot of value to a lot of people. And uh, their pricing model is significantly sort of different to how we would price. Um, people see value in PayPal still, and they're willing to pay you know, the fees that they charge. But then suffice to say that there, there are alternatives to PayPal these days. And in specific use cases, we certainly are one of them. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I think TransferWise has a combination of um, benefits, right? I mean, speed is one. Um, ease of use is one. Um, you know, low cost is, is another one. I mean, it's very three very significant um, benefits. Yeah, indeed. I think, you know, most of, again, you know, if you think of us as, you know, heavily technology driven, which we are, we define product pillars for ourselves. So the three, as you very rightly pointed out, are price, speed, and convenience. So with everything that we do, the first question we ask is, if we're investing product time, if we're investing developer time, are we making customers' price cheaper? Are we making the speed of their transfers faster? Are we making their lives easier when they navigate through our workflow? And if it doesn't, then you know it immediately gets set to a second pile, which is to say, you know, we'll look at this later. But our primary and you know ruthless focus is on these product pillars. So we've seen significant improvements, right? So uh, in the initial days when Tavit and uh, and uh, Christo started off, uh, used to wait about a day, a couple of days for a matching order to come. We don't do that anymore. In fact, you know, about 24, 25 percent of all of Transferwise's transfers today are instant in the sense that it takes less than 20 seconds for cross-border. Nobody else, you know, sort of successfully does that or measures it at that scale, right? So essentially, what we're saying is, if you were sitting in the UK and you were sending money to India, send money now and 10 seconds later, refresh your account balance in India and you should see the money there. To the US, I think it takes around a day, right? The next day, it's normally there. I mean, I do quite a few transfers to the US with transfer-wise and like normally a day, I think. Yes, I mean, again, it depends on several factors because the way that we send money is using the local clearing rails, right? The ACH rails. If the ACH rails typically take a day to clear, then that um, time would still be taken, you know, for us to send and receive money. There are ways in which we can shorten that. There are other dependencies like what are the cutoff times? At what time did you send it? Did you send your transfers on a weekend? Did you send it on a working weekday when both UK and the US were open? A myriad other variables, right? But um, again, you know, what we're trying to do is to optimize it for most of our customer base in such a way that we still continue to improve on the you know, price, speed, and convenience aspect. Of all things Americans are, 
we are makers. With our strengths and our minds and spirit, we gather, we form, and we fashion. Makers and shapers and put-it-togetherers. We start young, finding out early in life what it's like to feel something grow and take shape beneath our hands. We start young and we stay young, modeling with careful pride the things we expect to endure for ourselves and for others. We build for use, and we build in fun, joining eyes and hands and brains into knowing teams that bring great dreams to life. So, Morali, we're in this office in the heart of Shoreditch, which is where there's a lot of startups and a lot of uh, a lot of really good business activity. You seem to have a huge floor, lot, lots of people out there working, loads of meeting rooms. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what happens in your operation here, maybe a bit of a timeline, and then just just a bit about your expansion to the US, so where you're at exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, we were London HQ like forever. Um, so uh, we started off uh, with a smallish office, then we had our office on City Road. Um, we outgrew that. And then we started off here in the T building on the sixth floor. Um, Do you have the whole floor? It seems like a huge... Oh, wait, I still have more. Oh, you do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we, we had, uh, uh, what wh where you're sitting right now is the second half of the sixth floor, the way we put it. We originally were in the, in the in, you know, the right side sort of portion of it. We had to blow a hole in the ground, take over the fifth floor, and then blew a hole in the wall here, then took over the rest of the sixth floor. So, yeah, I mean, we did have to make way for a good bit of expansion. Um, that's from Because I want people listening to get a, get a sense of the scale and, and everything. Yeah. Yes. Um, the London office currently has, if I'm not wrong, around uh, 250 sort of people. Um, I think that number might be wrong as of yesterday. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we certainly are. Fires or fires? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, look, I mean, it depends on, uh, again, what each office does in TransferWise. Um, London particularly is like a full-fledged office. So we have product people, we have developers, designers, legal compliance people, bankers, you know, the whole, um, you know, sort of spectrum of uh, job functions, if you will, are based in London. We also, uh, one of our largest offices in Tallinn, in Estonia, um, where again, you know, we have a large chunk of our uh, customer support officers, operations, settlement people, treasury folks, um, who are also based there, in addition to the other functions, you know, that the London office has. Um, I think we're roughly around, if I'm not wrong, around uh, 13 offices around the world and still expanding. Um, some of them are smaller. Um, some of them are fully staffed as Tallinn is. Um, and some of them are hubs. So, for example, in Tampa, um, Florida, in the US, that is a hub for our US operations and customer support. And our product and designers uh, and banking people sit out of our New York office. Singapore is our hub for Asia. And London and Tallinn are joint sort of hubs for Europe. So tell us a bit about the expansion to the US. Uh, how does that look for you guys? Reasons for it? Well, I mean, uh, if you, if you again, I probably you know would talk more in the context of banks, um, and then you know probably broadly for transferwise. Um, for transferwise for banks, I think you know we when we were looking for you know the best places where we could invest our time and be able to have a significant impact with uh, customers. One of the uh, funny things we noticed about the US is that although it is probably the most developed market in the world, in certain pockets it does still feel like you know it's a 
it's still a large emerging market. You know, there's so much um, product needs that come out of there. There are pockets of underserved customers. There are banks who say, hey, you know, we're running infrastructure from the 90s. Could you like help us out? Um, and, you know, there are these pockets where we thought if we, you know, were to start there, learn how the market operates, start to sort of fulfill the product needs that the customers are looking for, we can then start to sort of magnify it for the rest of the continent. Any any sort of you know numbers uh, you know geek like myself would be able to tell you that the market by itself is quite huge and gigantic in terms of addressability. But uh, for us to take the first ginger steps to say, can we still do this? Is this a market oversaturated? Is this something that you know we would spend a whole lot of time and not get a return out of? Those fears were very quickly allayed when you know we actually dipped our big toe in the water, tried to find out you know if there were enough banks who were willing to work with us and. Boom, you know, with the response that we got, we were like, why weren't we here yesterday? And what is the motivation of these American banks? I mean, I think um, I've lived in the United States for a long time, until quite recently, and I think a lot of things there, the whole infrastructure is very old-fashioned, you know. I mean, a lot of check writing still going on. Yes. I mean, a lot of banks, uh, you know, um, not the big banks, you know, like not Bank of America, Chase, and those, but the smaller banks... You, you're not able to make a direct transfer into those banks. They're not able to, to receive international payments for mm -hmm. some of these accounts. Yes. You know, you have to go through other banks. It's so very complicated. So, why <clears throat> the big banks, of course, are very you know very well developed in, in, in the states. Um, so, is the motivation is is there a realization that it's like hopelessly um, out of date the infrastructure and that they have to do something and that what transferwise can offer is just a great offer to facilitate that necessary change in, in a much quicker fashion yes, than I doing think. it by themselves, I guess. Absolutely. I think, you know, what you're referring to is uh, the often used words in conferences, right, which is digital transformation. <laughs> uh, whether, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> whether we use that word or not, um, it's, it's essentially stating that you'll have to rehaul yourself for what is to come, right? We think of it in, in three ways. One is competition is coming, right, whether we like it or not banks themselves are sprucing their own acts up. Non-bank players are coming up. And guess what? Competition is inherently from your customers as well. In the sense that if you don't offer this product and another adjacent bank will, the elasticity to shift is at an all-time high. All they have to do is uninstall your app and download that one. How much time does it take today? It's 30 seconds, right? Loyalty is shifting, used to be you know, very, very rare in the previous generation. This generation, for people who are internet aware and are app aware, it doesn't matter for much. And that realization is slowly coming to banks. So they're thinking, we, have, we are here to serve our customers and we have to keep them you know, using us. And if we can't keep them, then it's business lost. Business lost is one thing, but to regain that business will take them three times the effort. So why, why don't we just you know, have active... Um, improvements on the tech stack, um, or in our case, you know, with partnership, for example, where you're able to take a significant step forward and offer a better product to your customers, give them a better experience, and build the reasons for them to stay back and bank with you. Because there's a lot of international transfers going on from the United States. I mean, even if you just think about a few use cases like the Latin community, sending, yes. I mean, literally sending money to Mexico, you're using like... Um, Western Union, Indeed. it's very inconvenient, very expensive, again, yes. you know, yes. or even to Asia, Africa, those places, right? So, I mean, I'm sure there's a huge, not even talking about the business community, 
but there must be a huge, huge like massive, you know, um, potential customer base there. Absolutely right. I mean, and if if you again um, focus it even further, let's just take the West Coast as an example. Silicon Valley, right? Um, sure. I mean, it's this you know one of the big epicenters of the American dream today, but it isn't you know just Americans living there. It's people from all around the world who come there to sort of build their dreams. And there is still a very active element of people sending money back home for their family maintenance, for you know funding somebody else, for paying for education, for you know any number of reasons, right? Our view of the whole thing is we are able to serve them better. They can lead better financial lives if they use TransferWise. And therefore, we think it makes sense for us to get to them faster. It's not so obvious that you know everybody on the street needs to know about TransferWise the minute they walk out the door. There are ways in which we can reach them, and we think that making it available in a place where they manage their entire financial lives, their banks, is one of our primary you know places where it should be surfaced to them, and they have the option to use it or not. So it's interesting because you've just mentioned you you've given the example of Silicon Valley with people who from all over the world, working there, earning money, maybe sending back home. Um, is is there anything about this kind of phenomenon in the US or the culture or the social setup that has made what you do slightly different in the US compared to doing it here? Well, yes. I mean, uh, in terms of um, the UK, right? I mean, uh, if you again contextualize it, um, banks operate and, and sort of, you know, treat let's say London and the adjoining areas slightly different from you know maybe the the rest of the country um, again in the US there is a geo specific difference I mean people in the west coast and east coast are far more sort of likely to have an international lifestyle slash use case for sending money rather than let's say you know other um, geographical focuses but then again the way I think about it is that that is the more obvious place where one would look that is common sense telling us that you know, the West Coast and East Coast are places to look. That does not mean, however, that, you know, we've scoped out the entire thing, right? It's with absolute humility. We don't profess to know everything as well. We want to make a start. And where we make a start, it's in a place where we can reasonably justify to ourselves and to our customers, and this is why we are doing what we're doing. And then as we deepen that market, if we see that there is a need to go to other places, other banks, other kinds of use cases, we most certainly will. Uh, compared to like Europe or the UK, how has the sort of the uptake been? If you talk about transferwise for banks, has it been easier to basically sell it there to banks? Or I, I would say, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think what I think I can imagine would have been probably easier in the US because they have less, much less of an infrastructure that probably some banks have already here. And then the other thing is there are so many banks in the US, so many small banks, right? Like the local banks. Um, which they don't have really here in the UK, in Europe. Yes, um, an element of that is true. Equally, um, it's not just the willingness to partner or willingness to you know um, use transferwise services. It's equally their ability to do so. They still have to talk to us via the ACH networks. They still have to find a way to fund us. They still have to find a way to surface what we are uh, showing via their tech stacks. Um, in, and you've already pointed out that you know some of them are running on old infrastructure, right? So it's not just the willingness to buy, but the ability to integrate. There are two completely different things. Um, I can't say that you know things are easier in the US or things are harder. Things are just different from the UK. And again, 
where we where we want to optimize is if we are able to time box an implementation and know for sure that you know okay if i go to an american bank it's going to take me x weeks x months and if we do that then there is a meaningful difference that we can make to their customers then we'll do it i think you know that's the way that we look at things rather than saying it's uh, probably easier in the uk or uh, you know easier in the us again you know uk and europe particularly right we are you know sort of lucky in fact um to have regulators who have enabled us to do um things like you know uh, sepa instant open banking access to the clearing system in the fps in the uk for instance these are developments that um are not yet um sort of surfaced in uh, in the us transparency for example in the eu is law like literally a bank has to show a mid market rate and their spreads come august next year um and it's not yet addressed in the us will it be don't know but these may be winds of change so morally uh, i want to know a little bit about the specifics of you guys opening offices in the in the us so where do you exist um you said a little bit about the kinds of people who work here in london and in tallinn so yeah j- just how how does that work out of your us offices yeah sure um so we have uh, a primary sort of office in new york where our bankers our developers analysts um product folks they are usually based and when when did you set that up um the new york office was in 2015 i believe um again you know and selfishly speaking you know transferways for banks will also be expanding there shortly i hope um but uh, you know that's that's the makeup of the new york office it is smaller than our tampa office um where mm. we have a powerhouse of uh, customer support folks um a, a few product people and you know also we have uh, um operations uh, guys being based there but i think you know if you look at a split of offices it's not like an absolute um you know cookie cutter approach that you know these guys um, don't talk to the rest of the offices per se i think we have uh, um i don't know the relative comparison with other firms that but we ask our employees our advisors to actually you know travel around to offices get a feel for how we do things get an understanding of the best practices we use in other places and replicate them in our offices so we do you know get together um as a company the entire company you know gets together every year so you know there's 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 a whole lot of like uh cross sharing if you will between teams a whole lot um and again you know in the US it's uh it's a, it's a very very interesting sort of place to be in and you know when you start to think about where do you expand the first question is where should you start then because you mentioned tampa and i think you're the first company we've spoken to who have an office in tampa what well, what was the reason for that um i think you know the state of florida itself is uh, is very welcoming um and you know we've been able to source talent there um you know which is in the right spirit and culture of transferwise i mean that's one of the most important things for us um it's not just the usual typical choice of saying um you know let's see a financial arbitrage for uh, labor costs and then do it right but we actually do it because there is a proper culture fit because you know we are able to train them up better and because you know we see that scaling is is better um, in in those particular offices which is why i think you know tampa's worked out for us so just a second ago when you were talking about these big get togethers You, you had a bit of a smile <laughs> so i'm yes. wondering can you tell me a little bit m- more about that also we're very interested in sort of the different working cultures and kind of what what it's like for you working with teams 
in different places what what their local culture does for doing business? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we call that summer days in the sense that you know we get together uh, in Estonia usually um, uh, in in a city or town and uh, do something to give back to the community that has sort of you know helped us start off and grow in the first place. Um, I've been to two of those so far. And I can tell you it's it's a riot of fun, you know, it's crazy. Like uh, you, you you meet all those people on, on Slack, on Hangouts, on Zoom, and then suddenly you're able to put, uh, you know, names to faces. It's it's really cool. And uh, there is there is a level of camaraderie that uh, I have rarely seen in other companies that I've worked with, at least when people come together there. Um, it's, it's, I think, that shared sense of passion, if you will, uh, for lack of a better word, for what this company is trying to do. In terms of working with other teams and uh, other cultures, I think we have one culture within Transferways, um, and uh, which is why I think our, our hiring process looks specifically to validate that in the people we hire. Like, you know, we should be convinced that, you know, you would likely fit in with us. Um, and uh, we should be convinced that, you know, there are things that we would rather avoid and, and you know, we keep those markers away. And what, what is the transfer-wise culture? I think it's a mixture of several things, right? And uh, we sort of write them down as well. Like, you know, we, we have no drama, good karma, uh, which essentially is like, you know, look, if you have to resolve something, just talk it out, right? We have something called blameless retros. So if we screw up with something, we come up and say, okay, we own up and say, look, we've done this this did not work very well and we've caused so and so you know sort of losses damage whatever we promise won't to do it again but you know look here's the fix that we've deployed and looking back this is what we should have learned and so on uh, we've got you know various other values as well which i'm sure that you know we can talk about it but it's more like this job is not a job but it's just a revolution right so it's like building that spirit in people to make them feel that they're part of something bigger than just the desk that they're tied to in a time when a lot of banks, I mean, in a way, at least European banks retract from serving American clients because of FATCA and all that, how do you deal with sort of these challenges? Regulation is something that we never get around. We always, always follow the rules. So uh, the first thing that, you know, um, when I hear language like this come from, you know, prospect bank partners or something, how do you get around this? We immediately sort of correct them. We are not getting around anything today. Um, how do we make this happen? After we tick every box that states, this is what the regulators in X jurisdiction, Y jurisdiction, Z jurisdiction want us to do. So we're not about like sidestepping anything at all. Um, whether we view regulation as challenges or opportunities, I would lean towards saying we look at it as the latter. We've managed to change the way regulation happens in Singapore. We said there's no need for people to do face-to-face -face verification anymore when they had to a cross-border transfer. We managed to bring about new law in EU. We were one of the guys who lobbied for, um, you know, making transparency law. And, you know, there's still photos of transferwise, you know, which uh, feature the mannequin statue from Belgium. And we stopped, we said, stop pissing our money away, you know, which is customers telling banks, stop doing it. That image went viral. We, we asked the uh, regulator here in the UK to sort of help us be the first non-bank um, participant in the faster payment scheme. We do hold settlement accounts with the Bank of England. And that, for someone who's not even a bank, 
is a phenomenal step forward. And we do take activist stances in many, many parts of the world, right? including in Australia, where, you know, we um, are part of the you know, uh, Royal Commission's sort of um, inquiry where they suggested uh, better market practices and so on. In a way, therefore, we don't look at regulation as a static thing which is blocking business. What we think is that it's an evolving, it's a growing, um, you know, sort of developing um, organism by itself. And we want to be part of it and we want to contribute it to it getting better. That would help eventually our customers and businesses have a better financial life. That's it. So I wanted to know a little bit about the unique challenges of running an office out of the US. What's what's different about operating there compared to your offices here or in Thailand? I have no idea. I don't think there are any. <laughs> no, look, I mean, it's uh, it's it's another TransferWise office. So I, I think, you know, uh, most of the hard work which goes into initially, you know, sort of setting the office up in terms of having the right kind of culture, having the right kind of hiring culture, um, having the right kind of, well, behavior, so to speak, right, within the company, how do we typically do this? And then allow for, you know, the talent that is coming in to develop their own sort of practices and then evolve as, as a whole. Um, I think that hard work has thankfully been done by our uh, site leads in New York and Tampa. Um, and now it is a question of sort of maintaining it such that, you know, they still are very tightly part of the TransferWise family. But what about your clients? Because um, I understand maybe you've got the same company culture, but you're in a different ecosystem, so to speak. Yes. Um, again, you know, when our clients are serviced, then they are serviced by TransferWise irrespective of whether, you know, the person sitting is in the US, it's in Thailand, it's in Singapore or whatever, they will be served. Um, and therefore, um, having onshore presence obviously, you know, helps, it has its advantages in certain ways. But the way that we have sort of scaled this particular business, at least, you know, with TransferWise for Banks, is we, we minimize the need for human intervention as much as possible. If there is a need, we're obviously equipped in Tampa to handle our U.S. clients. If they need further help, there's people from Tallinn who work different shifts to help them out. And if not anything, then there's Singapore to help out. But, and Budapest, in fact, you know, in Hungary as well, right? So we we try to make it as seamless as possible for our clients. It's not that, you know, we, we find a small, um, you know, sort of market or not small, you know, we find a market for us to open and then try and, you know, scale the people there locally. We still function as one organism with different places. I think what I'm trying to get at is uh, what are the expect the expectations you have from the American clients, which may be different? Um, American clients, I think uh, I, again, you know, uh, fundamentally, you know, it's, it's the same arguments, it's the same needs, it's the same product that, you know, we're trying to ship to them. Um, what they obviously are a bit more careful on is how do we actually give the, you know, undiluted transfer-wise experience to, to customers while still dealing and grappling with, uh, you know, their their existing tech stack, system limitations, clearinghouse rules, and so on. So it's, uh, they have, in a way, compared to European clients, a couple of extra hurdles to cross. But then, you know, that's what, you know, we have a dedicated product team. We have a PM, we have implementation managers, we have devs who are very much part of this team and are completely autonomous by themselves. And they prioritize solving for these banks' um, issues as a priority. So if there is a, a chance for us to optimize and do this better with the next bank, then we will. So a lot of our audience are people who run companies, often quite early stage, and they're sort of maybe eyeing up a move to the U.S. at some point. Um, what, what would be your tips? Any do's and don'ts? 
Any words of warning? <laughs> um, actually, you know, I, I would actually, um, I would suggest trying to evaluate and find a product market fit even before, you know, you go into the market. The US tends to be, as I said, it's not one country, one market, one product that they ask for. There is a myriad ways in which you can cut that pie. And having that kind of razor sharp focus helps in, you know, your next targets, helps in your next acquisition wave, helps in planning your next marketing budget, helps in hiring your next wave of people. Unless you have a really targeted need of what customers' needs are and how you are best placed to solve it, um, it does, you know, sort of become a bit tough if you do that later down the road. Again, you know, we are with all humility learning this as well, right? So I profess we are not in a place that, you know, we can preach at the moment, but we can certainly share learnings. And this has been one of them. In terms of, you know, uh, uh, tech, um, it, it's always a great difficulty, I think, for many tech companies, especially if you're based in Silicon Valley, to hire like engineers and everything because you have a lot of competition for these roles. And I think for a lot of companies, it's a big, and for a lot of European companies, it's a big um, benefit of being in Europe because they have a massive talent pool. Sure. You've, do you find the same? So do you do most of the engineering and, and product development in Europe? Um, or how do you see that in the States? Um, we have, uh, again, you know, the way TransferWise is structured is we have a whole bunch of autonomous you know, tribes and teams who basically solve distinct problems for customers. Um, and that's how we are, we sort of organize um, product effort as well. So when you ask, uh, are products for American customers being solved by a talent pool that is sitting not in America? Yes, possibly, because, you know, we, we have a microservices architecture, which is like, you know, we try to build most things in common for our customers. So if there is a great feature that we are building for a customer in Ukraine, we would ask, can we do that globally for every other customer? If there is no re if, if there is no replicability, no, no, this cannot be absolutely done by, um, you know, for every other customer, you can't do this, let's say, for the Americans, then the US team would then step in and say, we'll exclude this as part of the feature build. So on, right? So there's, there's different ways in which to um, say which would be part of the US support and which would be part of the non-US support. Suffice to say, we don't operate as well as like fully independent, like, you know, we're cut away from, let's say, uh, the UK team is cut away from the uh, MENA team or from the Asia team. That doesn't happen at all. We work together most of the time. And 90% uh, of the time, we build common features. For the small percentage where we do require custom bespoke builds to be done and feature builds to be prioritized for geo-specific needs, we do have dedicated teams to do that. So the US team does have its own team to answer your question. Cool. Yeah, so just, just to wrap up, um, uh, what, a, um, what would you say is the biggest challenge of expanding to the US? Something that listeners can kind of watch out for if they're trying to get some inspiration from your story. Um, I think uh, as you look at the US, there are players who are very new, who are very entrenched and established, and there's a whole spectrum in between. If you choose, however, to work with newer players, then um, from what we've learned, one of the things to watch out is uh, the US and Silicon Valley also has a culture of you know, break things and fail fast 
which means that one of your your clients may break things and may fail fast um it is important to keep that in consideration as you plan your your next expansion your clients and how you do your targeting so that you know you choose the players who don't fail that often but does that also give you more room to be able to experiment or try different things out as well yeah the question is that every experimentation comes with an investment of time and effort that's non zero from our end the question then to ask is would this investment of time be better placed in um serving you know real customers real problems in in a more established sort of a sense right where we know and have established that it is a problem we can solve there are there is a bank that we can work with and there is a timeline that we can work towards the certainty of it is always the alternative to saying shall we risk more and go after like several several small players it's always a balance that we take This is Move Your Business to the United States from Mount Bonnell Advisors. I'm Nastra Antavakolifar and we just heard from Transferwise's Marala Akella. Our sound engineer is Emmett Glynn and our podcast manager is Novena Panovic. We also use some samples from the Prelinger archives who have some really good historical material from America. We'll be back in 2 weeks. In the meantime, send us your questions to info@mountbonnell.com. We've also put that in the show notes. Okay, speak to you soon.